essentially no other podcast interests me because the Robbie podcast of just asking you questions about everything at any point of the day and then one little I'm like Robbie I've got a quick question and then we chat for three hours those chats are more interesting to me than almost anything I hear recorded by anyone so I think it's pretty cool to be able to record conversations between the two of us and in time we'll get the hang of having the conversation recorded like inevitably there's just a degree of weirdness when you know someone's going to be listening to what you're saying versus the complete like free reign that we get when we're just on the phone with one another but i think yeah, i think in- we'd be arrested if we were allowed to <laughs> say everything we said on the phone 100 <laughs> percent Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today's episode is very special to me. It is featuring a conversation with Robbie Schur, who is one of my favorite people on the planet. Robbie is the co-founder of Neurological Networks. The course uh, I do every single morning, Adaptive Immunity, was built by him and Andrew, who I featured on episode 11 of the podcast. Robbie and I discussed the course quite a bit in the podcast, as well as so many other topics, including the immune system, 5G, fasting, how to create new neural pathways, the mental, physical, and emotional dimensions of healing, and so much more. Robbie is a certified Jedi. The conversations that I have with him on a regular basis have completely changed the way that I see the world, the way that I see my health, my body, and yeah, the relationship that I have with my body in the world. So I feel very privileged to be recording conversations with him and sharing them with you guys because as I mentioned in the intro, having chats with Robbie basically trumps any content I could take in from any other source. I love his take on the world, his incredible wisdom when it comes to health, and I look forward to sharing many more conversations to come between the two of us and we have actually a discount code for adaptive immunity for the course if anyone's interested in taking it you can use the code fully human f-u-l-l-y-h-u-m-a-n for a discount on the course and i will link to their website to the course details everything in the show notes i hope you enjoy okay so i think we start with the story of neurological networks um okay well um i guess it starts a long time ago when i was probably in my early 20s i was um going from a really healthy teenager and really fit i was playing hours and hours of tennis to just uh, had this massive fatigue come over me quite uh, suddenly, and it lasted for years and years and going from one doctor to the next, no one could find out what was wrong and going from sleeping, you know, maybe eight hours a day to finally sleeping probably 20 hours a day, um, found this 
you know, have having been misdiagnosed many times over and just feeling like not getting anywhere, I found this really good doctor who, um, after lots of tests and lots of um, various things, worked out that I had a glycogen storage disease. And I didn't have, I had a pretty mild one because the severe ones you usually die by about two years old and something triggered it in me, doesn't really matter what. Mm. But um, finally got the diagnosis and <clears throat> that was half the problem. But the other half was he basically said, listen, can't help you. We don't have gene therapy. It's nothing much we can do about this. Um, you know, take vitamins and things that'll help your immune system. And but as far as the tiredness, well, that's just something you're going to have to deal with forever. So um, at around the same time, I was talking to a friend of mine who suggested I try um, a neuro trainer. And I went to my first session with Geraldine when I was in my mid-20s and I told her everything and I'll never forget what she said to me. It was really so cool. I said, I've got this very rare glycogen storage disease and I named it, I, I can't even remember which one it is now, but I told her and she said, wow, that's such an interesting name. Why don't we just fix it anyway? <laughs> and I thought, well, like it was the, really the first time I had like a glimpse of hope and I did everything she told me to do to the letter for 18 months, six months, I didn't really notice much other than I subtly was feeling a bit different. I was still sleeping a lot, but didn't quite notice a huge improvement. Um, but there was something in my subconscious where I could just tell something was going on. I was always having these weird, like, happenings where I would, you know, she'd do a session and I'd sleep for three days or she'd do a session and I'd be wide awake for two days. And then it would kind of go back to how I was. And then the weirdest thing happened. We stopped working on the glycogen storage problem completely. Like we maybe did four or five sessions on it early on. And then I would just go for a session and I would tell her what was happening in my life and she would just take notes and we'd just work on that. And I'd go for another session and we'd work on something else and something else and something else and something else. And like people would say, well, you know, is she fixing you? And I go, I don't know. But then I'd ask my parents and they'd laugh at me and go, what the hell are you talking about? Of course she's fixing you. You're sleeping eight hours a day again. Mm. So I didn't even notice getting better. I just was better. And then I would go to doctors and they would, recheck certain things in my blood, which, so with the glycogen storage disease, um, your, because your muscles can't store sugar properly, um, day to day, your muscles are breaking down and they, and they monitor the evidence of this muscle breakdown um, to see how you're going. And when I first was tested, um, I'd been sleeping 20 hours a day and my muscles were um, looking like I'd run a marathon every day for the week. Wow. Like that's how much damage there was in the muscles or in the blood. And then they would just continue to monitor this. And I went back to the doctor and he basically said that my muscles were normal and he had no evidence of, you know, any problems. And he was such an awesome doctor. He actually came to a few sessions of Geraldine to see no what way. she was doing. Because, 
yeah, he he just couldn't believe that it was possible to have what happened to me happen. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, so great doctor. Um, happy to give his name if anyone's interested later. But mm. um, I go see him occasionally, but generally um, don't see doctors anymore. Um, and so that was how I got over my glycogen storage problem. Mm. Um, but um, it took, you know, 18 months and I'd continued to see Geraldine. And again, we, we kind of stopped working on any muscle problems. She just, she was very clever in, in any problem I had. She would always look to tie in a component of the musculoskeletal system into that mm. so that she was always just fixing up the underlying problem as we kept on going along and we didn't have to let my life go on hold and let my life be overwhelmed by this one problem. So she basically taught me how to live a normal life and she would just tie in this weakness to all the problems I was having. So we kept just treating the glycogen problem like a side issue. And I was just achieving more of my goals that I wanted to achieve, getting better, doing more things. Um, and then I started studying with her and learning what she was doing. Not from, I never want, never really had an interest in becoming a practitioner, but it was, um, I did physics and mathematics at university. So I have this type of a brain where I need to understand what's going on. So I did it more to understand what she's doing mm. that's fixing me so much because it really was just uh, quite miraculous. Um, and then as time went uh, on, I had mercury fillings and they never showed up as a priority to work on. Um, and then finally they did. So she said, listen, we don't really need to balance out this. It's not a problem for me. It's a problem for your dentist. So I found this uh, awesome dentist who used to do some muscle checking and he knew about neurotraining. Um, and developed a bit of a friendship with him. And he said, uh, I can't take out your mercury fillings because you don't know how to breathe. And me being the giant egomaniac that I was said, what are you talking about? I don't know breathe, how to breathe. I'm your neuro training and my neuro trainers never found breathing in me and it's never <laughs> been an issue. And, and then, um, well, he did this basic breathing challenge on me and I couldn't do it at all. And I went off to his respiratory physiologist and he showed me um, all about my breathing problems and uh, went home and learned everything there was to learn about breathing. And to my dismay, I couldn't breathe. Not that I couldn't breathe. It's that I was just breathing um, dysfunctionally. Mm. Um, so I did everything the um, breathing guys told me to do. And as well as going to Geraldine with my newfound knowledge. And I said, well, let's balance this out and it showed up and I'd make small improvements, but then inevitably I would fall back into the bad um, dysfunction. And, you know, I'd go back to Tony, my dentist, and he would check. He said, no, it's not working. So then I said, you know what, I'm actually just going to go investigate breathing at a much deeper level and work out what's going on, why it's not fixing. So it wasn't an issue of um, believing that there was a, a problem. I understood there was a problem. It was an issue with why something I valued so much in the neuro training wasn't um, fixing it like I would like. I, I wasn't concerned why all the different respiratory people weren't fixing it because I'd kind of lost faith in what general um, people had without 
you know, muscle monitoring and monitoring the nervous system. Yeah, you, I didn't have you faith. and I both. Yeah, so, but I had faith in Geraldine and I'd seen Andrew a few times then and I'd done some workshops with Andrew. So uh, him and I were already uh, on good terms. Um, but it was just really upsetting me why the neuro training uh, couldn't get down to it. And it actually wasn't an issue with the neuro training. It was an issue with... Um, breathing was such a huge context that we had to just um, work out all the bits and pieces for how, how to tie it together. So we were basically just sum it up working on the tip of the iceberg. Can you, so, can you yeah, explain that for, for people that don't exactly understand what a context would be and why breathing is like so protected? Uh, well, the easy answer is hold your breath for a few minutes and see what happens to you. Mm -hmm. Um. And the, comp and the less, um, you know, facetious answer is that every single imbalance you have, there's one thing they all have in common, and that is you were breathing at the time of that imbalance. Mm. So breathing becomes associated to every single different uh, imbalance in your body. Um, and we had to really uh, look at the respiratory system rather than breathing. Everyone, you know, it's all about how to breathe. And really breathing is just a symptom of how the respiratory system as a whole is behaving. And um, so when we started looking at as a system and then I'd, I basically uh, spent two years or so reading every single medical textbook there was about the respiratory system. So I understood the chemistry and the physiology really, really well. And then I spent hours and hours working out how we could challenge all of those subsystems with neuro training and uh, worked out most of them. Um, and then where the real, real magic came was when Andrew, I gave him all the work and I'd put it together. And he spent a few months and he came up with um, basically the the protocols around the respiratory system because it's such a well-defended system because, as I said, firstly, it's, it is the highest priority system in your body. It controls the other systems. It's like their policemen um, as uh, well as... The other as systems being... Like the immune system mm -hmm. or the... Um, what's it? The nervous, one? the nervous system. system. Yeah, yeah cool. so the nervous system kind of runs the show and the respiratory systems like the policemen. It's the integration. It's the system that integrates all the other systems. Mm, yeah, got it's it. It's the great integrator, and it can actually take over when other systems are misbehaving. So, if the immune system is really having a, a struggle with things, the respiratory system can actually take over, change the environment, and wipe out the bugs. It's not a good thing to do, but it will keep you alive. Mm. Um, but anyway, so Andrew really found a few magical things with how to put it all together. It's such a defended system that when I'd go to Geraldine with this new bit of information, we would actually, one of the major things with neuro training is you have to check permission to work on a problem. Mm -hmm. And we would not get permission to work on the respiratory system because it's so deep in the brain that the subconscious would go, well, if you don't do it correctly, I'm just not going to give you permission because you can screw something up and you could end up killing me. Right. So 
we just wouldn't get permission to work on it a lot of the time. And then when Andrew came up with something called a subtle physiological indicator, it's just the perfect term, it's the spies, mm -hmm. we were able to access the deep subconscious um, parts of the brain, which where the dysfunction in the respiratory system lives. And we could, you know, reset what we needed to. And then after that, uh, Andrew and I put together the first functional breathing course and then the second um, course, which has basically uh, been adopted by Neurological Networks. So that was, I guess, the birth of Neurological Networks. And at the same time, once the breathing was all resolved, I went to Andrew and I said, you know what, doing sessions on people sucks these days because I've got, you know, I've done probably 50 courses now and I've got to take, you know, 50 books with me to any time I'm not doing a session at home. My parents are really lazy. They never want to come to me. But my dad, you know, if I don't sort him out, he's going to kick the bucket. <laughs> so I've got every time I go over to his house, I've got to take millions of books. Is there no way we can put all the references into a database? So he said, well, I don't really know how to do that. But if you want to do it, I'm more than happy to do it with you. So we um, started building at what we call now the NeuroNet neuro Navigator. And it took years and years um, and a lot of expertise to actually come up with a database structure that could house the data. So the standard database wasn't working. We'd like just have too many problems with standard databases. So I actually designed my own um, database and that can house all the neurological references that we use. And now, a few years later, I think we've got about 2 million different types of um, references in the database. And it's probably the biggest neurological network database there is at the moment. Can you explain for those that are most people listening that are probably unfamiliar with what a reference is and how it's important um, for neuro training, but also for the neurological network courses? Um, yeah, so a reference is really um, a simple, it's like a building block for a balance and it's also a building block for um, the NeuroNet Navigator or call it the N3 database. It's just, and it's really something really simple. It's like if you do a muscle check um, and you say challenge the liver, then liver becomes your reference that you're investigating. So it's it's like really just the building blocks that make up a person. And sometimes you can take a reference and drill down and go deeper into the reference. Um, so liver, you could look at liver cells. And then the liver cell becomes your reference that you're investigating. So um, our references that we look at are, for example, in the M3 database, we've got um, secondary organs, primary organs, glands, tubes, valves, cavities, sinuses. So those are kind of our reference sets, but then also reflexes for how to balance out one of those references. Say you've got a lymphatic reflex, which would promote um, removal of toxicity from, again, say your liver, then that lymphatic reflex becomes your reference. So anything that you could think of as a building block, you could think of as a reference, but it doesn't have to be the base. You can go deeper into the reference and see what the components that make a reference are, and then those components become your next reference that you investigate. And from my understanding, um, the difference between 
the stuff that you guys are creating with neurological networks and the uh, other types of practitioners is that they all have their initial reference starting point. So with a acupuncturist, they're working on meridians. Um, and the difference um, with the database is that it's generating no particular starting point, which means that there's like so much more opportunity to address the root causes of imbalances. Maybe you want to elaborate more accurately on that? <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a good way of putting it. So as you said, a, a, a Chinese medicine practitioner, she, she would look at meridians as her starting point. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that she'd probably look at meridians and as far as her training has taken her, she'll stay in the meridian system. If she knows how meridians are related to muscles, then maybe she'd look at that connection. Mm -hmm. But she really wants to stay in her comfort zone because that's what she studied. Um, and, you know, chiropractors, they like vertebra because, you know, they want to straighten up your spine. So their primary reference of investigation are vertebra and, you know, chiro uh, physiotherapists are interested in muscles, tendons, joints, and things like that. So that's where they stay. Um, but the Neuronet Navigator, it keeps um, relationship data in it. So it doesn't matter where you start um, because starting somewhere is just a symptom. Mm -hmm. You never, no one ever starts at the root cause of a problem because you don't know what the root cause of the problem really is. Mm -hmm. So if you start at the symptom, if you went to a Chinese medicine practitioner, she would um, look at the meridian system and uh, she would then look at how that relates to maybe a muscle or a gland. And then she'd look at the, um, using the N3 database, she'd now look at the gland and then you'd say, well, this gland relates to these muscles and these muscles relate to these references and these references. And it basically builds up um, a neuro you know, our name, neurological networks, it actually builds up a neurological network of the actual problem. Mm. So the problem isn't the symptom. And I said earlier that no, you can never find the problem. Just looking at the symptom, you never find the problem. It's not actually true. You, the nervous system builds a story mm. and the story is all the connections. So how this symptom relates to this and this, and everyone says you're looking for a root cause. I don't really like to look at it as you're looking for a root cause. You've got to show the nervous system or work out the network of the story of what's going on. Mm. And you either have to adjust that network or build a new network that achieves the same thing that the old network was trying to achieve without the symptomology of it. So in my case, I had a network and it had genetic references in it and it had uh, adrenal references in it and it had a whole bunch of references, but the genetic references in those networks were generating a glycogen storage symptomology picture. But what the network was trying to do was get me to run or you know sprint or do exercise. That network was just giving me the wrong output, but it wasn't the genes are broken or the meridians are broken or this. It was actually the whole picture was not doing what it was supposed to be doing. And what Geraldine was doing was she was creating a new network that bypassed those genes which were damaged or mutated or whatever you want to call them. So she created a new network that did the same output that I wanted without, um, without generating the symptoms. 
So I had a new network and that is what neurological networks is really all about. We try and create new networks for people or change old networks to get rid of pieces of the network that aren't working correctly and then integrating new aspects of the network. And our N3 database is just a really cool tool to build the full picture of what's going on because no picture is just something wrong. It's a whole network which is wrong. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, the same with um, adaptive immunity. We, we aren't working on one aspect. We've given you a whole bunch of protocols to create a new immune system network that you can use whenever you need it. So adaptive immunity, for those that don't know, being one of the first courses that you guys have created with neurological networks out of the database um, maybe you can explain what, how the courses are born. And I mean, all these different subjects you guys are creating courses on. There's, there'll be an upcoming one on the respiratory system. There's one on um, cultivating strength. So how does it go from the database to becoming a course? And maybe touching on the difference between um, neurotraining being subjective and then these courses being objective. So not needing a practitioner anymore to specifically tell you um, your bioindividual problem, if you will, as opposed to the courses that just apply to everyone universally. Yeah, so let me clear up one thing first. Yeah. The N3 database is a great tool mm -hmm. and I've spent, me and Andrew have spent hours and hours doing it. Yeah. But really the courses are born out of Andrew's giant brain. That's the <laughs> cool. best way I can put it. Cool. Um, what the N3 database, we use it now, is to help us with sessions, yeah. which is awesome. It helps us validate if Andrew comes up with some courses. If the N3 database, because it's so big and it's so consistent with so many different references, and we've built its own AI, that if Andrew comes up with the ideas, if it isn't congruent with the N3 database, then we know there's a bit of a problem that needs to be sorted out. So it's like... We can use the N3 as an error correction, but really the, the courses come through respiratory. I did a lot of work with, but most of the other courses are coming from Andrew as right. well as clinical experience. So between us, we've got, you know, nearly 70 years of clinical experience and we can take the objective side of those clinical um, problems that people have and go, wow, you know, we were working on somebody's immune system. So I've worked on maybe the immune system for hundreds of sessions and so is Andrew. And then if we compare notes, we go, you know what? These same references come up for everybody. Mm -hmm. And sure, Camille may have a problem with X, Y, and Z, but she also had this reference and Rob had a problem with ABC, but he also had this reference. And you see that you balanced 100 people and they all had that same consistent reference. Mm -hmm. You then look at the N3 database and it says, well, now I can actually look through the the connection types and see, and yes, it's consistent that everyone who's got an immune dysfunction would have this consistent kind of pattern happening. Then you can take that objective side of everything and put it together into a course, as long as the object, objective references are big enough that you'll get some real impact. If not, if everybody's immune system behaved in a subtly different way and there was a 10% objectivity in it, well, then, you know, 10% is not going to 
build a great course if you're going to only get access to 10% of objective references. Mm -hmm. It's not that we had done something wrong. It just leads us to the concept of a context. The courses have to be a context that the references inside that context are objective. So the immune system as a context is a very objective system. Most of the references in the immune system will be the same for everybody. And then you can add your spin on things and that's fine. But um, if we took another context, um, which I can't think of one just off the top of my head, but if we took that context and we worked on that context and everyone was totally different when working on that context, it wouldn't mean that it's a bad context to work on. It just means it's not, it's, we've structured the context. Mm. Yeah, it means we've structured the context in a way that there's not enough objectivity in this context to write a course on. But the immune system and the respiratory system uh, are really, really great contexts for um, objective references. Almost all the references in the immune system and the respiratory system are objective. Okay, so question two. Shoot. So in telling of your story with neurological networks, you've already touched on the concept of challenge and balance. Um, But the course itself, the protocols are all about challenging and balancing. So can you explain uh, what these concepts are and also maybe touch on what the, how the concept of curing plays into all of this, like curing something? Uh, Yes, I'll start with the curing first. I I don't actually like um, cure as a concept because it seems to me that it's more focused on going back to a state when you didn't have a problem as opposed to um, there's challenging yourself. There's the challenge, like challenging yourself to um, always improve. Mm -hmm. And then when you always improve, you get over whatever issues you have and then your symptoms go away and that's what people consider being cured. But I don't really like to think of a cure as in, you know, no one really wants to just take their symptoms away. Mm-hmm. You want to not have the ability to have that problem anymore. But everyone thinks, oh, I just want to go back to when I didn't have this problem and I prefer to think of it. No, let's make ourselves better and better and better. And then we can just get over these challenges that we're faced with if they symptoms or a difficult time at work or some other emotional problems. We just develop training to get over these and then we're better. We don't have to think, oh, I want to go back to how I was before. Mm. I don't want to go back to how I was. I want to go improve all the time. Um, And then there's this ridiculous uh, concept of the medicos owning the word cure. I don't even think alternative health people can use that word yeah, in their can. clinics or things like that. Yeah, that makes sense though. Like cure, and, and I guess then technically it makes sense for the medical model to own the word cure because really what they are doing is taking you backwards by suppressing symptoms generally. So you're removing what makes you feel like you're in a bad position, sick or whatever, um, when in reality, moving forwards and actually overcoming the weaknesses and the imbalances that made you feel those symptoms in the first place is you're not going back. You're moving forward through strengthening the whole system. 
Yeah, and um, it's really interesting because symptoms are actually the nervous system's way of communicating that there is an imbalance. The symptom is very, very rarely uh, related to the underlying problem. It's mm. just the nervous system's communication attempt to say, hey, you've got a problem somewhere and this is how I'm going to express this problem. Mm. So if you suppress those um, symptoms, then you're basically uh, suppressing the nervous system's ability to explain what the problem really is. Mm, so I love that. It's kind of like at built, best, yeah, built into the problem is the solution, which is exactly that. Built into the symptom is the solution. Yeah, it's like the nervous system's giving you a string to follow. And if you follow that string, you get to what the problem really is. If you hide that string away, mm. then at best, you're going to start developing other symptoms because the nervous system, if you suppress a bunch of symptoms, the nervous system's going to say, well, i am still got the problem and I better show you what this problem is, but you've, ta you've closed one door, so I'll just open another door and I'll, I'll express some other symptoms. Right. And at worst, so that's your best case, but if you suppress your uh, symptoms too well, you actually prevent the nervous system from telling you that there's a problem. Now you don't think there's a problem. Basically, it requires a lot of energy to maintain those suppressions. And you, you're basically just going to take a whole bunch of years off your life because mm -hmm. your nervous system can't express itself anymore. So you're really um, damaging it. It's, suppression is one of the biggest um things that we like to unravel because it just immediately gives the nervous system back its ability to express itself right. as well as um freeing up a lot of energy that was used in these suppressions and you know to talk about um the neurological network courses a lot of what we're trying to do is actually uncover suppressions mm -hmm. so um you know you had a something or other as a kid and either you never dealt with it properly or you were given medications or various other treatments that may have suppressed the problem. And then when you uh, do some of the protocols, then you actually undo that suppression and you give back the nervous systems, not only the ability to um, express the problem, but also um, uh, find a solution to the problem. Mm. So I guess maybe from there, you can explain the concept of challenge and balance. Yeah, so the challenge and balance is um, kind of like the language of the nervous system. The nervous system learns through challenging. it. If you never challenge uh, yourself, you just will never grow. So, you know, the first challenge we needed to get over, one of them was gravity. So gravity was a big challenge for us and we activated nerves and we grew muscles and we got stronger and eventually we learned how to work, sorry, walk. And that, you know, that was how we got over the challenge of um, walking. Mm -hmm. And a lot of treatments, uh, very good treatments, like, for example, shockwave therapy, which is, you know, a sound wave at a high frequency, really good for helping uh, ligaments and tendons. That therapy sends this high frequency sound wave into the tendon. And that is a very, very big challenge for the nervous system to overcome. It's actually a much bigger challenge than the damage to the tendon. 
So the nervous system responds to this challenge and in responding to the challenge, it overcomes the damage to the tendon. So the shockwave therapy isn't fixing anything. It's actually making something uh, even say, call it a bit worse. And in making it worse, you've challenged the system and the system responds. Um, and the best thing you can do is you can challenge the system, but then offer a what we call balance, I prefer to call a better neurological option. You mm -hmm. give it a new solution to that challenge. So you challenge it in a really specific way, and then you give it a new neurological option to get over that challenge. So in neurological networks, we don't uh, do one or the other, we do both. Mm -hmm. And every protocol is a combination of challenging a certain area and then providing a new solution to that challenge at the same time. So you just covering all your bases. And can you touch on the challenge cards? The, yeah, how they work? Um, yeah, so that again is Andrew's genius. Um, but he, um, as a, again, I said, there are lots of frequency challenges that challenge the problem. And then you have to hope that the nervous system responds to the challenge. If it doesn't respond, you're wasting your time because even if it's the right challenge, they need the resources to overcome that challenge. If they don't have those resources, then it's a waste of time. So what Andrew worked out is um, the BNO, as we just discussed before, the balance process, that is in neurological networks always objective. So that is giving the nervous system a new option to use in a certain situation. And what our challenge cards do is they challenge that BNO, which has the effect of basically amplifying the correction or corrections, the wrong word, the balance process. So mm. in short, the challenge cards amplify the effect of the solution. Yeah, cool. Do you want to just touch on, um, maybe what process with the challenge cards like what do you suggest using them in terms of so there's one i've got one to six at the moment of the cards do you recommend using uh one card every day for 90 days swapping it up using two of them at a time how what kind of options do people have uh you really can um change them up as you see fit. But what I would say is say, use card one for a few days, then card two for a few days, then card three for a few days, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it really is um, for the immune system. You always, if you want to add multiple cards, it's better if you, you know, keep card one on and then introduce card two and then uh, keep card one on and introduce card three. So to start off, just do, you know, each card separately and then start with card one on and do card one and two for a few days, then card one and three for a few days. And we're um, building, we're building new neural pathways, right? With the protocols. So from what I understand is, it's hey, kind hey, of... hey, we're building <laughs> new neurological networks. <laughs> but you're pivoting essentially, right? Every time that you have a card with this slightly different frequency on you, it's like you're targeting the solution from like a slightly different angle. So it's actually building larger neural networks instead of reinforcing a single pathway. It kind of builds more pathways. Is that right? It's a bit, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Mm. Um, you build a pathway around the thing you do the most. So, or what 
I guess the nervous system thinks you're doing the most of. So um, if you do say the um, spleen process yep. um, each day with different cards, then you're building a new pathway around the spleen, uh, very specifically around the spleen. And um, so that will be a strong pathway, but using all the different cards kind of adds a bit to the side of that pathway, you know, adding more connections to the pathway. But if mm. you looked at it, you would see like a really strong connection for spleen immune system. And the different cards are, you know, strengthening that connection, but also bringing in other um, other parts of a pathway. So yes, you're right in that you're creating a bigger pathway, but you're also strengthening one very specific aspect of that pathway. Yeah, cool. Um, when it comes to the immune system, so most people think of habits like how well they sleep, like sleep quality or what their diet's like or often what supplements they take. Can you explain the difference, I guess, between what the course protocols are doing, which for people that maybe don't completely understand, there's no supplements involved. There's no specific like the, in terms of protocols, you're doing, you're rubbing the reflexes, you're tapping the points um, for each associated uh, category. So you run through many organs and then you direct the immune system towards various different um, uh, uh, concepts. Pathogen yeah, so things. like spores and mold and 5G, these things that like, you know, in air quotes are threats to us. Um, yep. But can you explain the difference between what doing things like getting good sleep quality and supplements versus the adaptive immunity course protocols? What's the difference? So um, the way I like to think of it is actually you came up with a really good analogy. It's, it's like um, if you have supplements all the time, that would be like putting in a really good brand of petrol mm -hmm. into your car. Mm -hmm. um, nothing wrong with putting in a really good brand of petrol into the car, so long as the car firstly knows how to use that petrol. So if you put in um, a, a really fancy unleaded petrol and your engine really, you know, it's not going to improve it because there's a whole bunch of things wrong with the engine, then theoretically it's great to put in this petrol, but you're not going to see any improvement. So I see supplements like that. Like sure, if you have zinc and selenium and um, vitamin D and a whole bunch of these other supplements, which are supposedly great for the immune system, then you have to assume that the immune system knows what to do if you give it those supplements. But if the immune system's not primed, then it's really going, well, I know how to use this amount of zinc. I don't know how to use any more zinc because this is just my capacity at the moment. Mm -hmm. Then giving it more zinc's not going to help you at all. Um, and then there's the whole concept of, well, do which supplements am I deficient on? Which supplements do I have an excess on? And that becomes a very difficult thing to um, check for yourself. Uh, so supplements can be good, but you need the immune system to be primed to be able to use these things better. And then if the immune system is primed, then you can 
um, use these things better. And then maybe you don't even need to give extra zinc because the immune system goes, oh, I want more zinc, but there's plenty of zinc in my food. So I'll just take the extra zinc out of my food. So it's like the protocols are like um, giving you a new engine in your car mm. rather than just filling up with a new, uh, better type of petrol. It's like, sure, you, you put in a new engine, then you can go and put in a much better petrol and the car's going to run a lot better. Yeah, otherwise you're basically giving yourself very expensive pee. Yeah, if your body doesn't know what to do with the supplements, the thing it's going to do is get rid of them. Mm. And I mean, we see this quite often in the fact that two people will both consume the same diet and one person is anemic. Or two people go swim in the same river and one person gets parasites. So it's that the exposure to either a good thing like food or a bad thing like a parasite is less important than actually what's going on internally. So engine quality versus all the little things you can do cosmetically or you know putting better oil into a car, better fuel. It only takes you so far if your internal ecology isn't actually operating like it should. Uh, that is so true. Like the immune system is one of the really good examples of that where um, as you said, with say the parasites, one person gets parasites, another doesn't. It's um, depending on the internal environment. These these like viruses and bacteria and spores and all these things, they just opportunists. Mm. If the environment was unfriendly for them, they wouldn't come. Like uh, the big joke I always say is, you never try kill candida because if you try kill candida. It's going to fight back, grow horns, grow teeth, and you know, really just make your life really miserable. Mm -hmm. The trick with candida is you have to invite it to leave. Right. You just say, you know what? I'm just going to make it the environment for you so unpleasant that you're just going to not fight with me. You're mm -hmm. just going to not want to be here anymore. It's like stay as long as you like, but I'm going to change the furniture around. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change this. And eventually it goes, you know what? I don't like it here anymore. I'm going. Yeah. So if you're having a house party and it's much easier to just turn the music off and, you know, then to kick everyone out. Yeah, that's right. You'd, um, and Canada is specific in an example where you really don't want to um, take these things that, that kill it because when it dies, or firstly, it'll change form into a different form and become quite aggressive. But also when it dies off, it um, you know poisons you with formaldehyde and acetaldehyde and all these nasty chemicals that you have to detox from. Like obviously, if you've got a big Canada overgrowth and you change the environment, you'll get a bit of die off, but mm. you won't get this really aggressive. It'll all be manageable, you know, because it'll happen slowly as you change the environment. But, you know, you have these supplements that go off and kill candida. They end up making people a lot worse. Yeah, interesting. And, and go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Well, I was just going to actually transition to the next question because we've discussed. Uh, do you want to say anything else about that before we move into the mental, emotional, physical aspects of all these different things. Yes. I, I just, you know, say again, all these pathogens that they only can invade you if the environment is uh, friendly for them to come. Mm -hmm. If you make the environment unfriendly for um, a bacteria, it just, it, it just, there's no way for it to survive in you. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And that is what the course is doing. I mean, there's a lot of ways of doing it with supplements, say. So when you're doing parasite, a parasite cleanse, you're taking the clove and the wormwood and all that stuff, but you're not going to take that forever. So if you don't address the underlying invitation they got to your body's environment, you're not going to take clove till the day you die. And I guess that's kind of where supplements also become problematic is you're not truly addressing what caused the imbalance that invited these problems into your body and what the courses are doing is actually creating a new environment internally so that sure maybe you'll do a parasite cleanse once a year but it's more of like a spring cleaning as opposed to a whole like demol like demolition project is that right uh, that's uh, exactly right i mean you can't survive on clove and wormwood forever that's yeah. you know a bit of gonna just do your liver a bit of harm short term for a few weeks that's fine but if and even if you kill off a batch of parasites um six weeks later they'll they'll come back i mean yeah. so many stories even when you take these uh parasite um medications they say on the on the medicine itself you've got to um you may have to use them multiple times and it's because you know Ha you leave a few of them alive and they'll just regrow in the in their perfect environment mm -hmm. and also knowing that like we can't avoid the triggers they're everywhere paris even if you absolutely kill the parasites you have inside of you they exist in the world viruses exist in the world parasites exist mold so building your internal resilience is really your only long-term solution yes. And also, remember, we were speaking about challenge and balance. Mm -hmm. These things are challenging the nervous system to improve. You don't want to go live in a, you know, clean room for your whole life. Of you'll course. go outside and you'll just kick the bucket. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cool. So that's actually probably what's made me most empowered through all of these techniques and protocols is you feel like nothing is unsurmountable anymore. Like you you see new challenges exactly as that's something that can be surmounted and increase your resilience in the long term as opposed to like being terrified of 5g for example is like oh great an opportunity to you know really like hammer the 5g protocol of the course and tune my whole nervous system to the challenges that it's going to face in the world um yeah and you you touched on a really important subject there is um, fear, you know, if, if you're afraid of something, then your natural tendency is just to avoid it. Mm. But the, the problem with fear is, uh, the nervous system has a very, um, funny habit of attracting the things you're most afraid of. It's almost like it's prone to try get over these fears, but if you keep teaching it and keep learning new things, then you don't need to be afraid of everything. You can just, uh, use it as an opportunity to improve. Mm, I like that. Um, um, cool. Again, you know, you may have to have a lot of challenges to overcome, but um, should much rather overcome challenges than just uh, try avoid everything you're afraid of. It's mm. the way I look at it is fear tries to close your world down. So your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller because you have to avoid all these things you worried about. And, um, at neurological networks, we're trying to open your world up to experience more and more things. 
Well, I mean, I can relate to this in terms of relationships. It's, and I think probably most people can, that we tend to attract a specific kind of partner over and over. You know, we end one relationship thinking that maybe they're the problem and then the next person's the exact same. And really what we're being given the opportunity to do is overcome um, a pattern that really just needs to be broken or fixed or balanced so that we can yeah no longer attract that dynamic yeah so in relationships that you described you you you're playing out a neurological um pattern Mm -hmm. and when you recognize you're just playing out a neurological pattern and it's not even your choice that's when you have the opportunity to change yeah cool um so yeah now let's pivot into the mental, emotional, and physical aspects of all of these challenges we have. So, I mean, over the past few months, you know, I've had quite some in-depth chats that have blown my mind, particularly like on this topic, I guess maybe we can just start with the immune system, Um, how the immune system relates to the concept of motivation. Uh, Yeah, so um, every um, imbalance in a person always has a mental, emotional, and physical and um, meridian component to it. That's just how we're set up as um, people is everything has a mental, emotional, physical, and meridian component. So sure that everyone knows about the physical aspects of the immune system to a lesser or greater extent. You know, you've got your spleen and you've got your thymus gland and you've got the various organs that and cells and all of those things that make up the immune system. But then the mental emotional aspect of the immune system is all about motivation. So, and the perfect example of that would be um, if you're lying around sitting on the couch watching Netflix all day long, don't really have any goals, um, you may get a cold and that cold may last for um, ages because the immune system's got no reason to get you over that cold. You're not going to do anything different. I mean, it may be better for you if all you want to do is watch Netflix to have a cold because then you've got the excuse to <laughs> continue to do that. Yeah, um, so motivation is the, so it's not, it's how do you say it? It's, it's not like, the motivation um, is different and related to the immune system. You could think about it like that, but I even take it a step further and say motivation is an aspect of the immune system. They, mm. they, they part of each other. Um, so, you know, the more motivated you are, the stronger your immune system will be. And every single person who, has, who struggles with motivation in a certain aspect of their life there will be a corresponding weakness in their immune system somewhere. Mm. I've loved that when you were telling me earlier that we often think of people's personality traits or weaknesses as just being like a part of who they are. Whereas it's not, that's not really the whole picture. Like, so thinking that someone's lazy is not really true. It could just be that their immune system's sluggish. Uh, yes. And then it comes down to what is their, you know, personality trait and what is their immune system? Like, are they a lazy person by a character trait, which leads to a weakness in the immune system? 
or is the immune system weak and that is leading to issues in motivation mm. it's a bit of you know a chicken or the egg it's right. probably a bit of both well that's cool so, that it goes both ways because of course that's one of the things i've noticed and you've told me subsequently is it like it goes both ways so by working on your motivation you're actually encouraging your immune system to work but also by working on your immune system you actually increase your capacity for motivation uh yeah 100 if you again you know promoting our lovely course <laughs> um all the protocols uh the mandatory first lesson that you learn is make sure all your protocols are done with a very important goal in mind mm. because just by doing that you are turning the immune system on immediately just by thinking about something you want to achieve your immune system will immediately go well what do i need to do to be make you able to do this mm. and it so health not they are the same system health not being big enough a goal is that because health is just so rooted in immune health it's kind of like the same thing so does, does the goal have to be like um like um, a, can you give an uh, example personally, of, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you can choose health as a goal, but personally, I like goals to be real world, not airy fairy goals, like tangible, a real tangible. tangible, something you can see you've achieved. 20 like, grand in the bank. Your, 20 grand in the bank by this date. So cool. every time you do your protocols, you think I'm going to make $20,000 in the next six months. And, you know, you just do it. Okay, and um, so it gives your immune so, system like something that it, it, it's getting better so that you can actually go out in the world and do shit. That's right. And also you can see that it's worked, right? So you've got the evidence. So your immune system is like, you know, almost like you can be proud of yourself. I achieved this. And your immune system said, hell yeah, I, I did that for you. Mm, cool. Um, um, and, and just talking about that, how many times... I, everybody can relate to this you know you've got a deadline you have to do something you're either studying for an exam or um, some work project has come up and you just know that you have to get it done and you're so focused and you're so primed and you get it done and you smash it and the next day you get sick right your goals achieved your goals achieved so your immune system immediately You've lost your motivation. There's no, you had this super high motivation to get your something achieved. Your immune system was, you know, running on high. You obviously don't want your immune system to be running on high all the time. But for those, you know, two weeks, it was running super high. Mm. And as soon as you took the motivation out of it, it had no more energy and the motivation was gone and you, you get sick. Um, so mm. the trick is obviously don't, you know, set yourself these supercharged goals all the time. But the other trick is um, always prime another goal before this one's finished. So, you know, um, if you want to have 20 grand in the bank, don't just set yourself, well, when I've got 20 grand, I'm done. Mm -hmm. You have to say, when I've got 20 grand, I'm going to do something with this money or I'm going to make more money or, you know, don't just end something because then you just suck the motivation out of your neurology and then your immune system will get weaker. Right. Um, maybe we can touch on a few different relationships. One, I can give this personal example. I called you the other day after a friend came over and she like complimented me on um 
my hair and I got super awkward about it. Like, you know, so many people are bad at taking compliments. And what you said instantly, you're like, oh, yeah, if you have an allergy. So can you explain that that type of relationship of um, allergies? You said it was about a wrong association, which, of course, yeah, maybe you can elaborate. Yeah, so the mental emotional aspect of an allergy is um, the wrong association in your life. So, I mean, just take an example. We'll get back to your um, crazy example <laughs> where, well, the reason why I knew it was an allergy from you was because I've spoken to you and I've been in groups with you and you don't have a fear of public speaking. You've got a massive audience. You talk to everybody. Mm. It's not possible that it's a fear. Um, and you have kind of like a physical reaction to it. Yeah. And really, you have an allergy reaction to it. Yeah. You know, your immune system makes um, inflammation and histamine and all of that. Yeah, totally. And that's, it's just that you've, for whatever reason, it's not really important. You've just picked up uh, the wrong association to that situation. So, is so that, it's, it's kind of like, like food as well. So some people are allergic to certain foods and some people aren't. They have a wrong association with how the food interacts with their body? Yes, a perfect example. Go for breakfast every morning when you're a kid. Your mum gives you a banana to have. And while you're eating the banana, she tells you that you're always late for school and you're making her late and she screams at you. And this goes on every single day. Mm. After a few weeks or months or however long, you will develop an allergy to that banana. It's just because it becomes associated to um, your mother screaming at you. And those things, you know, the inappropriate association is what generates the allergy. So cool. Yeah. So your allergy, we, you know, it's not overly important to work out why there's an inappropriate association. The trick with allergies is to associate more positive things to it rather mm. than try it and break the association, which could be really hard because it could be so engraved. It's better to have the brain associate new things that just overwhelm the bad one. So if I start eating dairy every day and just tell, tell me that the cheese loves me and I'm so happy eating all this milk, it's going to undo my dairy allergy? Yeah, well, it, you have to also remember that you can have allergies, um, but allergies are neurologically different to sensitivities, which are neurologically different to aggravations, which are neurologically different to toxicity and poisons. Right. And dairy, you know, lives in, you know, most of those buckets for people. So well, just for me in particular, that was more of a joke because you and I know my dairy uh, intolerance yeah, well, runs you, deep. <laughs> what what color are your eyes? Blue. And what color is your hair? Blonde. <laughs> Well, blonde hair, blue eyes, don't eat dairy. <laughs> genetic genetic weakness to dairy. Really? Yeah, blonde hair and blue eyes is uh, genetic weakness to dairy. Oh, I didn't even know that. Um, yeah, so um, the problem is that if you have weaknesses to things, then it's easier to become allergic to them. So lots of people have... Um, wheat allergies and dairy allergies because those things aren't great for you in at the best of times. Right. So it's like easy to then associate bad things to a bad reaction in the first place. Right. And oh, so, well, that's why you were telling me the other day that people that have like genetic predispositions to celiac are actually 
kind of somewhat blessed because no one is particularly thriving on wheat. So if you can actually get more severely triggered in the celiac department and you avoid it totally, you're better off than thinking that you can get away with consuming it regularly. And you're not getting away with it, really. You're just kind of chipping away at yourself in the long run. Yeah, celiac is a really big one. With the, It's the glyphos uh, toxicity that they spray on all the crops. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just if you've got a genetic predisposition to celiac, then yeah, you're much better off because that toxicity will turn up somewhere else if you're not if you don't have the celiac genes, then sure, um, your villi will be fine, but um, you may even develop celiac later. But uh, excluding that possibility, um, it will turn up somewhere else. So you, your nervous system will start giving you symptoms, you know, maybe skin rashes or, um, you know, your liver just doesn't function as well as it should or you know, various other problems can turn up. So yeah, just uh, the, the glyphos is on everything nowadays. So it's uh, pretty hard. You want to avoid wheat as much as you can. Mm. Okay, let's chat autoimmunity. Um, got quite a few questions, just people curious about maybe the relationship between the immune system and autoimmunity links or anything you really have to say about it. Um, yeah, so there are lots of different autoimmune reactions. And the one, I guess, objective truth about them all is that it's when you have a problem and your immune system doesn't know how to deal with this problem um, to such an extent that it, um, the nervous system which runs the show mm -hmm. disconnects from the immune system. It says, I don't know what to do here. The, and it, so we call it, you know, turning off the immune system. It's not that the immune system's off but the immune system's working by itself independently of the uh, nervous system. So you have, instead of having a small reaction that's controlled, you may have this really overreaction and then you say get uh, arthritis because you've got this really big uh, um, overreaction in the joints. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the immune system has become deregulated. Mm. And when we say immune on, um, another way of looking at it should be that we're letting the nervous system reconnect to taking over control of the immune system. That'll turn off the autoimmune reactions. It won't address the underlying imbalance. So in adaptive immunity, we want to uh, turn on the auto, um, turn on the immune system again. Which is again. the first protocol, right? It's the crossing of the arms. That's right. Yeah. So you basically that's letting the nervous system take control of the immune system again. And then what you do is you go through all the other pro problems or um, dysfunction in the immune system, mm. which is one of them's more than likely the cause of the autoimmune reaction. So there'll be, you know, some weakness in maybe spores or molds or things like that, which the immune system didn't know how to deal with. And now when you turn it back on, it's not dealt with the mold, you've at least got a, a chance of dealing with the mold, then you go do the mold protocols, and you increase um, your resilience against mold, and then the autoimmune problem doesn't come back. When you have a particular problem that you're aware of, I mean, for me, it's been pretty intuitive with the course, like I have been drawn to the lymph, for example, the lymph protocol, I just kind of knew and it's the kind of information I've also just been seeking out, I would, you know, read books, particularly or listen to podcasts about lymph, but 
again, it always focused, like we talked about earlier, on you know dry brushing or going for brisk walks or rebounding. So the protocol, the lymph protocol, I was particularly drawn to. I knew I needed it for some reason. And if someone has an inclination of what their issue is, let's say they have mold, toxicity, um, how many times a day can they do that particular protocol? Should they do it more than once a day? What What do you... Um, you can do the protocols more than once a day. It's um, not like that they'll really aggravate you too much. Mm-hmm. But if they start aggravating you, you can just, you know, wean it back a little bit. Right. They they pretty, they they training for the nervous system, right? So yeah. it's not that they, it's not like when you do the toxicity, um, toxicity is a good one for this example. It's if you did the toxicity balance, say three times a day, yeah. it's not like you are, pulling more toxins out of the system because each time you're doing it, you now go and pull the toxins out of the system. It's teaching your nervous system how to deal with toxins better. Okay. So if that means your nervous system needs to pull out more toxins or less toxins, it will do that. It's learned how to detox better. So you're teaching it by doing the protocol three times, you're teaching the nervous system how to deal with toxicity better. And if that means uh, slower, great, you'll do it slower. If that means faster, you'll do it faster. And you may be aggravated by what the nervous system has to do in order to get over the problem, mm -hmm. but that's not really the protocol creating the aggravation. That is just getting over the problem requires a bit of getting a bit aggravated along the way. Right. So if people, for example, with the toxicity are taking... Um, are on a separate protocol that like let's say involves taking something that will challenge out toxins or they're they're going in the sauna a lot you just an example you're dumping more toxins to do the toxicity protocol a few times throughout the day would help actually direct the body at getting rid of the toxins as opposed to kind of letting things kind of free flow and um, maybe overwhelmed because if you have a toxicity issue in the first place, our bodies store things away to protect, to protect ourselves. It's not like they don't just, you don't get exposed to toxicity and it gets stored. It's because it has nowhere to go or the body doesn't know what to do with it, gets stored away. So if you're challenging it out, say through a sauna, um, doing the toxicity protocol a few times throughout the day paired with your other life habits that are maybe challenging these things out a little bit can help your like can help the body actually know what to do with these toxins. Yeah, so you go for saunas a lot, then that is, you're attempting to physically pull the toxins out. It's funny, I was like, as you're talking, I'm nodding and I realize we don't have the cameras on, so I'm (laughs) nodding to no one. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you go for a sauna, um, then that's kind of hit and miss, isn't it? You don't yeah. know what you're going to do to yourself. If you've got a whole bunch of um, glyphos in your fat cells, going back to that example. Which I do. I mean, we've been working, you and I have been working on this in my body for months now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and and it seems to showing up less and less all the time now, mm. which is really great. Because I'm smashing um, these protocols. <laughs> yeah. So you go for the sauna and you pull the toxins out and uh, the same things happened to me. I went for a deep tish- tissue massage, like um, my um, my wife got me a, a massage for my birthday the one year. So I'm all excited and went out for a, 
and I like the hard, deep tissue ones. And the next day I was sick as a dog, had to actually go to uh, have a session to, you know, find out what's going on. Yeah. And I just, you know, stirred up a detoxing process and I hadn't, my nervous system wasn't ready for it. It mm. wasn't part of its natural, what it, what it was expecting and had to sort out the problem that I created for myself. Had I been doing the toxicity protocols for a week before doing that massage, mm. if I wasn't ready for that toxin to come out, it wouldn't have come out. Or if I was ready for it to come out, I would have just instinctively drunk some more water for a few days and we would have just flushed the system, but my nervous system would have known exactly what to do in that situation. Right. Cool. I was going to give an so, analogy. I, I thought of the loose analogy in my head, but I haven't fully thought it out yet. I'm going to try it anyways. It's like you're going on vacation to a new country, but you didn't learn the language yet. So the, the adaptive and immunity protocols are teaching you the language so that when you go there, you actually know how to get around and like, go about your business versus like, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's right. We're training the nervous system so that when it comes to um, some sort of challenge, um, it already has experience with a similar challenge. So when we challenge the nervous system with these protocols, the nervous system doesn't understand the difference between coming into contact with parasites and challenging the nervous system with the parasite protocol. It thinks it's the same thing. So it goes, oh, I know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, I have the experience. I have the, the new pathway set up in the nervous system to deal with these things. This is exactly related to the next question, which, I mean, there are quite a few questions about 5G. And so one of them was hypothetically, I live next to a phone tower with 5G. 5G, what should I do? And you've explained this to me in the past. I'll let you take it away because you'll probably explain it better than I could. But why 5G becomes such a different problem to the previous types of electromagnetics and how the course protocols actually teach that adaptation. Um, yeah, so um, all electromagnetics are um, bad to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, they're not really natural. Um, when we were cavemen, we never really experienced um, much of the electromagnetics that we experience now. Um, good old days? For example, sorry, what's that? The good old days? Yeah, the good old days when we didn't sit in our chairs for seven hours a day. Um, yeah, so uh, electromagnetics like um, radio waves, which have been around and TV waves, um, are actually not so bad because they're a consistent stream and the nervous system has uh, an opportunity to learn what's going on, right? It's no matter what you do, the radio waves are going all day long, low power, low, you know. It's um, predictable, not... right? It's like the predictable challenge. So actually the nervous system is like, okay, yeah, we can adapt to this. Exactly. The, the more predictable something is, the easier the nervous system has of um, working out a solution. The nervous system is just a pattern recognizing computer. Mm -hmm. So if you give it a really easy pattern to recognize, then it'll, it'll adapt to that, no problem. So... Mm -hmm. Sure, if you're super sensitive to electromagnetics, then even radio is a problem. But generally, you don't hear of anyone who's got problems with radio waves. I mean, they've been around for 20 years and 
grew up in them and it's no problem. Yeah. Um, but 5G is a problem because it's so unpredictable. It's it's a pulse, it's a pulsed electromagnetic wave. So you don't get this ambient uh, 5G in the background. It's it's like on and off and on and off. And each time it's on, you're getting like a big punch. Mm-hmm. Um, all the power of the 5G is in that one microsecond of uh, pulsed electromagnetics. And the nervous system just has a very, very hard time working out the pattern and therefore how to adapt to that. So... Um, it's like my poker game because I have no real strategy. No one can predict how I'm going to play. And then <laughs> there's no... My my son does <laughs> not enjoy playing poker with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he is a pattern-recognizing computer. Well, he is, he goes, right? Oh, uh, yeah, he's just... He but that's just, but uh, that's exactly it. Is so like if I was to play the same always on the offense or always on the defense or a very like a very regular way of playing like a radio wave, you can kind of read the person and gauge how they're gonna play. But if like I, it depends on my mood. It depends on the time of day. It depends <laughs> on like the moon cycles. I don't know. So you can't yeah. predict it, and which makes it much more, I guess, dangerous playing with someone you can't. Yeah, there's no predicting it. Uh, yeah, 5G is a very, very good poker player. Yeah. yeah. Very good poker player. So the best, um, there are various things you can you look around online and, you know, if you if you want some advice on them, we can we can always, you know, answer the questions for your for your followers mm. uh, if some are good or some are bad oh like, yeah like these types of research yeah these types of, of devices like the wearables and the boxes and all these things yeah yeah uh, some are some some show up really well some show up less well mm-hmm. some show up doing nothing mm-hmm. but you know there's they, they they're pretty easy to check how they're doing um but besides that um your nervous system has what's called an electromagnetic system um, it knows about electromagnetics just internally. Uh, you know, the heart's an electromagnetic pump. The gallbladder controls your electromagnetics. And, uh, you know, you've got uh, electrical meridians. So there's there's actually uh, electrical systems that control your electromagnetics. And that is what the 5G affects. So if you strengthen up that electromagnetic system yeah. all the time, and if you strengthen it up, while experiencing the 5G, then you're teaching the nervous system how to deal with it. Even though it wasn't natural, you challenge the nervous system with our challenge while in the 5G environment. So Mm -hmm. you can look at the 5G towers or you can go right near a 5G towers. They're turning up all over the show, so Mm. you can't avoid them anymore. And then you do the protocols. You're basically teaching the nervous system how to do deal with a challenge and you're giving it the challenge right there and then. Right. At the moment, I don't have 5G around here, but I do the protocols and then I do the balance holding my cell phone, holding my laptop, and then I go and like touch the Wi-Fi box in my house. Yeah, so that's fine because, you know, Wi-Fi in your house is pretty similar frequencies to 5G. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the power output's different and things and subtly different. Mm. But you'd basically be training and strengthening up the electromagnetic system to such an extent that even if you hadn't come into contact with 5G, 
you would just have a much stronger electromagnetic system than someone else. You may have to do the protocols a few times when you did come into the 5G, but it wouldn't require as much training as someone who hadn't done the protocols. And I think people generally listening to this podcast would already be doing these types of things. But what about um, the habits that you can do? Like it is still good, even though um, you're training your nervous system to adapt to these these stresses, it's good to turn the Wi-Fi box off at night. It's good to make sure there's no, um, you know, your cell phones on airplane airplane mode or like out of the room when you're sleeping, for example. Like you do want to give your body an opportunity to not constantly be bombarded by these things. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Like I can promote the course till I'm blue in the face, but really um, there are a lot of things you can do to strengthen not only your immune system, but all your systems. Mm. And they're pretty easy, you know, like um, don't charge your mobile phone uh, in your room next to your bed. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't take get as many electromagnetics out of your room when you sleep as you can um, because they really disrupt your sleep and they and sleep is one of the most important things everyone does talk about sleep with everything and it's tr- it's you know one of the few true things you know if you don't sleep well nothing's going to work well mm-hmm. so you know even um if you've got wires behind your head when you're asleep you know get rid of those find a way uh, we actually hired an electrician to disconnect the power points behind our head because you know, you can get a little meter and you can see all this electromagnetics um, and it just messes up your sleep. And it's, you know, yeah. it's something so easy to fix up um, and you will get, you know, a good benefit out of those things. And the other thing with the electromagnetics, which is um, parasites and things like that, they love electromagnetics. So we talk about the changing the environment. Well, one of the big environments that you have to change for parasites is to change the electricals because they they love the high um, the subtle changes in electromagnetics. Interesting, cool. Uh, yeah, so electromagnetics is a big one, but sleep is a big one, and then combining the two, you know, get all the wires out of your house. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, out of your room, and the most important one is make sure you don't have a. Um, your power board of your house, make sure that's not behind your head when you're asleep. I mean, literally had friends who develop brain tumors because Mm. they've slept in the same room for, you know, 10 years with getting pumped with electromagnetics um, while they're sleeping. Um, It's just bad. Get, you know, get the environment of your room so that sleep is really good. Yeah. Then, you know, with food, there are a few major ones you want to avoid like just sugar and actually artificial sweetener like aspartame and things like that those are really really toxic for us Mm. so you've given some tips on how to mitigate 5g can you just give some general tips on boosting immune resilience just for everyone listening uh yeah so vitamin d is really important so, you know, get outside. Um, and if you aren't outside, vitamin D takes a long time to build up in the system. So, you know, you want to take it quite consistently. I know we spoke about, you know, supplements not being great, but there does seem to be a lot of vitamin D deficiencies floating around, especially in, you know, Europe where the weather's terrible. So then, you know, 
you want to boost some vitamin D levels. Um, and uh, vitamin C is really good. And the trick with vitamin C is that if you have too much vitamin C at one time, your body will just um, create enzymes to break it down. So you want to have very small doses of vitamin C through the day. Mm. And that's really good in winter and it does ward off the colds. And then just uh, do some homework about what... Um, there is a difference between supplements and um, food. And the, the soil has become depleted in lots of areas. So various minerals and um, things are now not in food anymore. And selenium is an important one for the immune system. And basically, soil in the world's a bit low in selenium now. So people aren't getting enough selenium. I think zinc's another one. So don't think of those things as supplementing. Think of those as food. Mm. And uh, lots of vegetables, green vegetables, um, lots of exercise does help and uh, good sleep. Uh, those are, you know, pretty important for a healthy immune system. Can I ask you about exercise? At what point does it become um, a problem? Because I think most of the people listening to this are exercising a lot, potentially too much. Um, you and I have talked about this with me and the nervous system how can people interact with exercise in a way that actually serves them instead of harms them? Um, yeah, exercise is a, a big topic because um, it ties very much into the adrenal system mm -hmm. and it ties very much into the sugar that we consume. So if you are exercising because you feel that you have to, uh, you've got a problem with exercise. Mm. Exercise should be done, you should be able to take it or leave it. And then you do it because it's fun and you do it because it makes you feel good and you do it because it's good for you. Mm -hmm. But anyone who feels that they have to exercise, I can tell you now you're on the roller coaster of um, hyping yourself up with caffeine or sugar or too much, whatever the excess is, mm. and then you feel like you need to burn that excess off by exercising. And then what happens is you uh, burn it off too much, you go into the low, and then you re-stimulate yourself. And basically what's happened is underneath all of that, there's an exhaustion. And until you address that underlying exhaustion, all you're doing is you just uh, burning the candle on both ends with your exercise. You're exhausted, but you're stimulating yourself. You're then exercising too much, and then you get into this vicious cycle. So it's basically, you know, uh, the easiest way to find out is, you know, cut out your sugar, cut out your coffee, cut out all the stimulants for a few days, and, and don't exercise for a few days, and see how freaking tired you really are. Mm. And if you're that tired... Don't exercise because you're just exhausting yourself further and further. Work out how to address your exhaustion. Then when you've addressed your exhaustion, you can worry about exercising again. But people who get themselves into this chronic exercise exhaustion pattern, it's really bad. You're just burning through your adrenals. And that's, you know, a burnout syndrome. That's mm. like the epitome of burnout syndrome where you can't get through a day without stimulants. You're exhausted and you've got to just... The only way to, to do it is just actually recognize how exhausted you really are. Like, don't exercise for a few days. Don't have any stimulants for a few days. And you, you'll see that by 2 o'clock, you're falling asleep. Awesome. Um, hey, this is just pure 
selfish question because I want to do a water fast again at some stage. And I told you I've done in the past 14 days, um, which yeah. was just like too much, to be honest. Actually, I felt okay doing it. I felt really good and I did nothing. Like I was just resting all day, sunbathing and drinking water and salt. But at the end of it, I was severely depleted and I haven't fasted since. That was a couple years ago. Um, but I'm feeling called to again, which is why I've completely, I mean, we've working with you have cut out sugar completely, let my adrenals rest. And even um, green tea, I've just, I'm off caffeine 100%. What else do you reckon is a good way to prime for a, a fast, which to me is kind of in the same boat as exercise. Like it's a huge, it's, it's beneficial, but it's stressful. So you can go into a fast, at least this is my theory, if you have enough reserve to actually make it through that amount of fasting. Um, yeah, so people with um, adrenal problems and uh, who over-exercise and are fundamentally exhausted, you never want to start a fast with yeah. those people because um, fasting does turn on the adrenal system and... Uh, you know, it may give a lot of organs a chance to rest, but, you know, the studies have shown that when you fast your adrenals and cortisol levels and some stress hormones do go up. Mm -hmm. So it may not be appropriate to fast. And this is the one time where I have to, you know, um, dodge the question a little bit and yeah. say, you know, always fast with someone who knows what they're doing, who can help you through the process. Yeah. I would never recommend fasting by yourself um, because unless you are monitoring the systems, even if it's a doctor who does, you know, a functional medicine guy or a naturopath or mm -hmm. someone who's just experienced in that area, it's not something you want to do by yourself. And it's never something you want to do if you're trying to get over it, some exhaustion because exhaustion, you need to balance out the sugar levels. And the only way to do that is to have regular small meals. I mean, my understanding of my body has shifted so dramatically since um, starting to do neuro training sessions and now with adaptive immunity because I used to be so gung-ho of like, you know, intuition, everything, like just throw myself into anything, do a parasite cleanse, just kind of like guessing my way through it all. But I've realized it really only gets you so far. And if you want to maximize your results and not damage yourself have support like do it alongside someone that can actually test what's going on inside of you which to me at this stage is is kinesiology it's like doing with a neurotraining practitioner basically and also having the foundation of um building up the resilience internally so which is why i guess going into this next fast I'm hammering adaptive immunity every single morning, which really the, all my protocols, I can do in under 25 minutes at this point. Um, to reach a point where I have such a high degree of internal resilience, you know, no caffeine, no stimulants, and even exercise, like from talking to you, I cap it way before I get exhausted. Whereas before I used to think that unless I leave it all on the gym floor, I didn't get a good workout. It's like, it's really shifted my understanding of the long-term gain of like balance, I guess. Um, yeah, the only comment, I mean, you've done awesome and you, you just, you know, 
we tell you stuff and you just do it and then you phone us back a few days later and go, oh, it worked. That's awesome. I feel so much better. Yeah. So it's you know, great for us and great for you. You're like the model. You're the model um, <laughs> client. But the only thing I'd just touch on with what you said, yeah. I basically agreed with all of it, was you made a very important distinction between support and responsibility. Mm. You are responsible for your health. Mm -hmm. You can get as much support as you feel you need, but it is your responsibility. You must never abdicate your responsibility in your uh, health journey. Right. You need to always be the one who is responsible for improving and getting better and getting over these problems. And, you know, um, even if you go to a neuro trainer, even if you go to a, a functional medicine guy and even if you go to whoever, they are working for you. Right. They aren't doing the job for you. They're a tool in my tool vault. Nothing more. And neuro training, what's really nice, and even with neurological and more so with neurological networks, is the responsibility is 100% on you. Sure, yeah. um, Andrew and I and our team will be on the live sessions to talk you through any problems you have. Mm -hmm. But unless you do those protocols, you will not create the new neurology to overcome your challenges in well, that area. Especially as we've already discussed when it comes to motivation and goal setting, that this has to be my project. You can't give away your power to anyone else to fix your immune system or fix or set you up for anything. It, it inevitably actually like messes up the process of the motivation is rooted in your immune system. So you, you have to be the one in charge. Yeah, and as soon as you give away your responsibility, it may make you feel better for a short term because you don't have anything else you have to do. Mm. Someone else is doing it for you. You just, great, you may feel better for a minute. Mm. You'll, you won't improve. It's And it doesn't, it, there's no point in worrying about whose fault. You know, everyone says, oh, it's my mum's fault that I'm like this or it's my dad's fault that I'm like this or I've got this because forget about fault. Fault's irrelevant to this whole thing. Mm. doesn't matter whose fault it is. I can agree, yeah, your mum stuffed you up or your dad stuffed you up. I've got awesome parents. They didn't stuff me up. Uh, someone else stuffed me up. Who cares? <laughs> um, we're all stuffed up. We're all messed up. And the only thing we have to realize is we have to take responsibility irrespective of who stuffed us up. Right. I love it. All right. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I look forward to having Robbie on as a guest again in the future. We have so much more to discuss. And if you are interested in taking the Adaptive Immunity course by Neurological Networks, you can use the code FULLYHUMAN for a discount. I will link everything you need in the show notes, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.